Hello, and welcome to WISMED On Call, the Wisconsin Medical Society's bi-weekly podcast that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, the Vice President of Public Affairs, and joining me today is Mark Grappentine, Senior VP of Government Relations. It is an honor, Peter. Thank you. And Lisa Davidson, Vice President of Advocacy and Membership. Hello again, Peter. Wonderful. Glad to have you both. Spring is in the air. Mark's got new glasses. Are you seeing you know, the world better? You know, things things far away are clearer, and things closer up are blurrier. So that's just a wonderful trade. Excellent. Might just be old age, buddy. So we're recording today on Monday, March 26th. And like all things news, things can change and have changed. So let's get started. On Friday, President Trump signed a $1.3 trillion, with a T, dollar omnibus spending bill, staving off a government shutdown just hours before the midnight deadline. The House passed the 2,300-page bill on Thursday, and the Senate followed early on Friday. So, Lisa, you've been following this closely. What's in this legislation? Well, there's definitely some good things um, in the legislation. I think the path that brought us here, though, um, continues to be highly problematic. We've seen the Congress a few times now really butt up against the deadline to pass a spending bill to keep the government open. And when you are really rushed in the wee hours of the night, sometimes you're not always making the best decisions. So that's not the way that we want things to move. The idea of being in regular order where you have uh, committees holding hearings and taking amendments called markups, um, that process hasn't quite been used the way we would like it to be, and frankly, the way a lot of members would like it to be. And interestingly enough, we even saw the president push back on the process a little bit as well um, during the actual signing ceremony last Friday. So a little bit about what's in there. So it's called an omnibus bill for a reason because it has all sorts of bells and whistles. It's a big legislative package. The last big bill we'll see the Congress pass this year. And there's some good things um, for healthcare. We see some bumps for the CDC, National Institutes of Health, um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. So those are all good things. Um, however, it's what's not in there um, that we should equally be aware of and that is we didn't see anything for marketplace stabilization, um, either on reinsurance or cost-sharing reductions. Unfortunately, that didn't make it in there um, in the end package. And so those are still opportunities for the Congress to act, but the opportunity for them to do so, I, I think, is now kind of passed by. So again, go back to the states, um, as we are looking to do here in Wisconsin to kind of make sure that we have some stability moving forward um, for our patients. I think something else that was notable last week that was also part of the omnibus bill um, was the President and Secretary Azar laying out their plan to combat the opioid epidemic. Um, obviously a key component of that is funding. Um, so there was about $4 billion provided in that bill um, to go towards this to reduce um, opioid use. And a couple of things that are included kind of in their priorities is they want to curb overprescribing and reduce demand through education about the dangers of opioids and other drug use. They want to further cut off the supply of illicit drugs 
by cracking down both internationally and domestically um, on the supply chain, so really continuing to focus on law enforcement, and then to help people who are struggling um, with addiction um, by further utilizing evidence-based treatment and recovery support services. Uh, we know that this continues to be a, a big priority, obviously, at the, the federal level. And here in Wisconsin, um, there's been a lot of activity um, here at the state level that's um, been a, a model for other states and, and nationally. Um, and I know that, uh, Mark, you've been following what we've been doing in that arena here um, based at the state level. Sure. One of the uh, bills that made it through last week at the, the last regular order business, most likely, for this session was Assembly Bill 907, which was one of two more HOPE Agenda bills, the, the 29th and 30th such bills that have passed as part of Representative John Nygren's HOPE Agenda, which stands for Heroin, Opiate Prevention, and Education. The Medical Society has really been um, a, a, a strong partner of Representative Nygren's very, very early on. And all the way through, we are constantly in contact with both him and his office, as well as some important people that used to be on his staff when these efforts first started who are now well-placed within the administration uh, to help carry out some of these things. So Assembly Bill 907 had some interesting parts to it, uh, including some funding for more treatment and workforce development, not necessarily workforce on the physician side, but some of the other folks on the healthcare team that can help with treatment and counseling and things like that. Um, Representative Nigren does know very well that there is a dire need for more physician workforce, not just in the opioid um, and, and addiction and treatment world, but in, in just in general, especially mental health, uh, especially family practice, things like that. And so sometimes these bills that are very specific on an issue get us to have further conversations about some of the other uh, important areas that physicians have. Um, there, there originally in the bill was a provision that was going to require, kind of build off the CME subject matter requirement that the MEB had passed recently. And it was going to enshrine in statute, you know, pretty much forever, which is how those things work until they're changed or if they're changed, that there would always have to be some uh, kind of class taken on safe controlled substances prescribing. So much more general than what we have right now, which is a specific requirement to take a, a medical examining board class that is specifically on the opioid prescribing guideline that the MEB uh, has out there. And, and in talking with Representative Nigren, you know, we, we at the society have a kind of an aversion to having any kind of medical practice type thing put into the statutes. They can become stale very quickly. Um, and even if the conditions on the ground change or science changes or the importance of one issue over, over another changes in medicine, uh, the statute lives, and you have to follow the statute. We, one of the things that our general counsel always says, John's very good at saying, the first thing you should do is follow the law, and we, we <laughs> certainly agree with that. That's kind of why we don't want things put into law that could easily become uh, no longer relevant just you know, two or three years down the road. So there had that, that, that requirement was in the, the first version of the bill in part because of the different professions that prescribe, including dentists and nurses and optometrists and some others, whose regulatory boards may not have been as proactive as the medical examining board has been since this crisis first hit, since the HOPE agenda first started several sessions ago. And so instead, um, uh, instead of having all these, um, ha have this uh, continuing education requirement for everybody, instead the onus was put on the regulatory boards to give a report to the legislature and the governor 
about what they have been doing proactively to combat the opioid crisis. And then that allows the legislature down the road to take any kind of action if necessary, if they feel that a certain board isn't stepping up as much, then a more specific provision can be put into law or something else that calls out a specific profession instead. And quite frankly, the physicians of the state have been leading the way, which they should because the vast majority of prescriptions in this area come from physicians. So it, it just kind of matches up that way. What's been extra interesting recently is, you know, we, we as lobbyists follow just about everybody on social media, whether it's their Twitter account or Facebook. And Representative Nigren is obviously a follow that I have. And on Facebook, when he's been posting stories about this issue in particular, and then even this bill passing in particular, he's mentioned a couple times now in his posts that look at what we've been doing in Wisconsin without having to put in provisions such as um, sledge, he doesn't say it this way, but sledgehammer limits on what can be prescribed or how much can be prescribed. He's actually saying that specifically now, and I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, he and I have been talking about that a lot, about how other <laughs> states and governors and legislatures have been passing laws or executive orders that put hard and fast, just there aren't any exceptions, limits on how much can be prescribed at any one time. And again, that's kind of getting into the practice of medicine. Um, but then secondly, I think it's kind of um, reflecting what he sees even within his own caucus, within the Assembly Republicans, and what he hears from some people in the public, which is much more of a finger pointing at physicians saying, well, you know, this wouldn't be a problem if physicians hadn't prescribed so much earlier on. And why are they even prescribing more than X number of days? Shouldn't we just limit it and, and take it out of their decision making hands? And the representative has never wanted to do that kind of thing. Uh, he, he is a, he's a low, a low impact government guy. He doesn't like regulations for the sake of regulations. And, and on this issue specifically, he's now signaling publicly that he has had to push back even within his own caucus for folks that will sometimes send him articles from other states that say, hey, by the way, Maine is doing this or another state is doing that. And um, I, I find that interesting that he's bringing that more into the public um, debate. Part of me is nervous because I think it shows that he's under some pressure. Part of me is nervous because Representative Nigren will not be a legislator forever. I mean, that's just that's just not how it works these days. And so if he's the only backstop on this kind of stuff, it, it would make it more difficult for us to try to continue the really good collaboration that we have had within the legislature on these kinds of things. So that's kind of a little little bit of a sidebar on some of this, uh, some of the stuff that we deal with in the Capitol and the conversations we have. Uh, what's very helpful is that the hashtag facts and data on this issue are positive in, in some important senses where as the data are coming out about the number of opioid prescriptions made by physicians, the number of pills being prescribed and dispensed, those numbers are dramatically down in just the last couple of years. And things like um, doctor shopping, where a patient kind of goes from ER to ER or from pharmacy to pharmacy to try to get multiple prescriptions either filled or whatever, those numbers are way down now too because the, the prescription drug monitoring program, uh, one of its main goals was to provide a tool to fight back against that kind of thing and that's working too so still an awful lot of work to do on opioids our opioid task force here at the society 
uh, will be, is meeting this week, actually, to continue the debates about what we can propose as physicians, what physicians can do outside of the regulatory arena, and what they can you know spread amongst themselves as to what the best practices are and how to educate uh, the physician community about what is the latest when it comes to safe prescribing and prescribing that may not work as well as had been talked about in the past and things like that. So. Now that the legislature's out pretty much at the state level for the rest of the year, this is one of the subject matters that we will be digging into um, with some with some depth and some complexity over the next several months so that when the next legislature comes together, or even as the next governor or the current governor plans for the next biennium, we will have a basket of well-researched and thought-out policies that we can proactively bring to, at the very least, the state legislature and potentially even tying back into what's going on federally as well. Well, thanks, Mark. You know, that's a great deep dive into the work we've been doing and the work that's going on. And clearly us and our members have been in the thick of it. So the legislative session has come to a close here in the state for the most part. Knock wood, yes. Uh, knock wood, right. Um, is there anything else of note that uh, that we saw get finished or not? Well, we really think regular session's done. There's a couple other hang around things. Irregular sessions. Yeah, <laughs> extraordinary sessions, special <laughs> sessions. There's a lot of stuff that can still go on. But, you know, first of all, just to, to preface, we're going to be putting out uh, soon, within the next few weeks, uh, kind of a slick summary of all the things that we looked at uh, this biennium at the state level, both regulatory and legislative, so that uh, folks can have an easily held and shared summary of all the efforts that we put in, um, we've, that we've had physicians weigh in on, that you know, the lobbyists have been working on uh, throughout the biennium. So it, it breaks down into the categories of things we liked that passed, uh, things that we didn't like that didn't pass things that we didn't like that we got changed so that we were okay with it. And then there's always a couple things that passed that we didn't like, um, and we always lay those out there as well. But um, those summaries have been well-received in the past, and so keep your eye out for that. We'll definitely put it in the award-winning Metagram product that we put out every week. Um, So there'll be a link to that at some point. One of the bills I think that deserves a lot of attention um, uh, that, that you may or may not have heard much about, but that's Assembly Bill 871, which provides incentives for healthcare systems to uh, put together intensive care coordination programs in Medicaid to try to help improve uh, emergency department use. Bottom line on this one is that you have a, sometimes you'll see an awful lot of Medicaid patients use the ER as their first point of contact for just general care. Sometimes it's emergency care, oftentimes it's not. So there have been a couple systems in this state that have done some really good work on their own moving forward on this issue to try to make those kinds of visits much more pertinent for the resources that are dedicated to them and trying to move folks away from using the emergency department as a first point of contact um, but but still being able to get health care in other ways. And so the Aurora Healthcare System and the Ascension System has done a, a very good job kind of in different ways between the systems but they've done a good job of, of really focusing resources on those Medicaid patients that show up in the emergency department, figuring out if they're there, if it's, if it's the right place for them to be for that particular service, and, and getting more information to these patients to help them understand um, that you know, perhaps uh, showing up at the ED is not their best um, option, how it's also very expensive and it kind of brings down the system as a whole and resources being spent. And so they've done a really nice job with programs that have shown improvements in that area. 
So what they've done is they, they came to the legislature and said, hey, you know, it'd be great if the state could create an incentive program that would allow folks to apply to be a part of this so that they could get some funding, um, they can get some savings, and there's some shared savings involved, but they can replicate in their own places how they can potentially mimic the successes that have happened from these other uh, very forward-looking and, and um, involved systems in an area that definitely is a, a, a need that we have for improvement. And so I'd say that's one of the, the, um, the bills that, that made its way through the system uh, that, that was passed and will be signed by the governor at some point. I think that's, that's something that shows how the legislative process isn't just necessarily reactive. You know, we see a bill that comes out and we're like, you know, chiropractors doing sports physicals? No, that's a bad idea. We, we don't like that. And instead, there's times that we can bring things forward proactively that help everybody in the healthcare system, not just the patients to get more targeted and better care, uh, but also the system as a whole so that we can continue to have a, a Medicaid program that even though it reimburses poorly, especially compared with other states, that we can still have it as a robust option to get as many people the high quality health care that we have in this state um, as, as quickly as possible to the most people as possible, but also spending the money the right way. So it's that kind of proactive effort that I think deserves a special highlight this time around. So as we round the corner from the legislative session into the campaign season, yeah. uh, I know we can, you can feel it on the wind. Shudder. Um, what can we expect, both at the national level and the state level? Well, I'd say right now, um, the first thing that's on the agenda is next Tuesday, uh, which is the, um, uh, the regular election for the spring season. And the number one issue on that is the Supreme Court race. Uh, they don't happen all that often. It is by far the most important statewide election that happens in the spring. Um, and you know these, these justices run for 10-year terms in Wisconsin, so it's kind of a big deal when they're on there. Um, you've, you've probably started to see the ramp up of the ads <laughs> that have been purchased by third parties um, for both of the candidates who are circuit court judges, Rebecca Dallet and Michael Screenot. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, spring elections are generally low turnout. So we encourage as many physicians as possible to be involved in going out next Tuesday to be able to cast your vote for Supreme Court because your, your vote will matter more than uh, what happens in a fall election. So uh, get out and vote next Tuesday. Uh, we have put in Metagram stories about uh, that link to the two websites for the two candidates and and i think there's plenty of opportunity to get a lot of different information about uh, who's running and how important it is because you know part of advocacy that gets overlooked sometimes is all the work that we do at the supreme court or the court level and right now there's a very important case in front of the supreme court um, that deals with uh, removing the cap on non-economic damages. We do not have a cap right now in Wisconsin because of a, of a case that has made its way to the Supreme Court that we're actively arguing in front of, and we're going to expect an opinion on that case this summer. So when you have seven justices on the, on the state Supreme Court and there's an election for one of them, it's a very important time to uh, pay attention to what's going on. So... We hope folks get out there and, and vote next Tuesday. I know I'm going to, so I know you guys vote. Have you early voted? Just to get the sticker. <laughs> Very nice. Lisa, tell us about the federal level, too. Are we going to be seeing, we've seen some 
headwinds, some important races. The congressional race in Pennsylvania had a surprising outcome. You know, are we going to see anything for our congressional delegation as as it goes with uh, with elections? Well, you know, I think applicable at both at the federal and state level, you know, now that the state legislative session is winding down, we're going to see people who are candidates for office, either the people who are not currently in office and they are a candidate or incumbents who are seeking another term, they will suddenly become much more visible back home. <laughs> there will be town halls, there'll be coffees, there'll be parades soon. So you're going to have more access uh, two candidates for office than you've had probably in the last year or so. And obviously this is a good thing, um, and that's where the society wants to help you and give you some information that can help you have some of those good conversations, whether informally or formally. So know that that'll be coming. In fact, the next couple of weeks, the Congress itself is on recess, so we'll be looking to take advantage of that to do some more work on our association health plan issue, which is now back in the, the federal sphere um, but it, we're going to have opportunities to engage, um, debates, forums, all of that, and I really would like to see our members um, participate. And so we will be working with you um, to highlight those opportunities and to make sure you have all the tools in the toolbox needed um, to have those thoughtful conversations. You know, we'll also see a lot, obviously, on TV. We talked about the ads for the Supreme Court. Um, you'll see more and more ads on social media as well, since that continues to be a emerging area um, for the political space. I think that Wisconsin tends to be a state that we see a lot of out-of-state groups come <laughs> play in. So the uh, gubernatorial race, as that kind of uh, gets narrowed down on the Democratic side, I think we'll see, like, the gentlemen were telling us some, you know, third-party groups that it might not be clear who they are, and their message may not be quite clear exactly which uh, which person they're advocating for. Um, so we're going to be inundated on that again, because Wisconsin, as we all know, is the place to be. It's the uh, political ground zero. So whether it's the uh, race that uh, Speaker Paul Ryan um, will be in down in the first district, the gubernatorial race, or our state legislative races encourage everyone to participate and get to know the candidates on both sides um, and be able to talk to them about what you see day to day um, practicing medicine. What are the concerns on your mind? What are the concerns on the minds of your patients? That's if Speaker Ryan even runs for re-election. This is, this is true. That, that has yet to be uh, made uh, definitive, but we'll see. Hypothetically, that could be a competitive race. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Very I, fair point, Mark. I mean, really, everything's everything's on the on the agenda. I mean, don't don't be surprised by anything. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't be surprised by anything because just about anything can happen this time around. The the national uh, political scene's really interesting to watch. I certainly don't think Wisconsin's going to be immune or different from a lot of those things, but. Uh, it's, it's different when you are an incumbent running for re-election versus when there's a special election or whether or, or when the um, the seat is vacant. Uh, those are very different things that happen. So of our 10 members of our congressional delegation, I think it's going to be interesting and certainly more than half of them, most likely. It'll be, it'll be kind of fun to watch. Yeah, some seats that have been considered safe for a while, the data is telling us that they are not so safe and they might be a little more competitive. Again, that lends itself to more access to the candidates and more opportunities to hear from them. So I think of it as a good thing. I think we all do. 
It certainly keeps us employed, right? Well, that's that's true. Now I don't have to worry about my brackets anymore. I can <laughs> I can think about politics even more. Well, uh, for our members, if they have questions about candidates or issues as they come up this fall, they can certainly feel free to reach out to any of us here at the Society to help provide information about where we stand as an organization. Speaking of participating in the process, we want to tell you about WizMed Direct an opportunity for you to support candidates through a financial contribution. Very important that our members are engaged in this arena as well. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Heidi Green or to Mark Grappentine about that. Um, we're going to see more communications and opportunities for events and your participation in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, WISMED Direct is basically establishing your own political contribution uh, savings account in a way. So you have, you put money into it. The only one that can get uh, money out of it is when you say, yes, I want it to go to this or that candidate. That's WISMED Direct. There's also the opportunity to uh, engage in the Medical Society's Political Action Committee, which is a PAC, and that's WISMED PAC. And if you give money to the PAC, the PAC board, which is made up of physicians, decides where money from that that group can go. Generally, that's more of uh, it goes to the Assembly Republicans or it goes to the Senate Democrats. It's usually not linked to an individual candidate, although sometimes it is. But the uh, WISMED PAC board is very careful in trying to ensure that monies that come through the PAC with the society's imprint on them are kind of more evenly distributed. Um, you know, there's, there's exceptions here and there, but that's generally how that goes. But WISMED Direct is you know, a really great opportunity that if you're going to make contributions to a political candidate at the state level especially, you know, you can do it through us because then we, we, um, we get part of the attention at the Medical Society, the Voice of Medicine uh, has its voice amplified, but then you also get your appropriate credit as an individual making a contribution. Your name is there on the letter, but we help with all of, uh, you know, processing the money, getting it distributed, letting you know when there's opportunities to do that kind of thing. And, and so it's kind of a win-win for everybody. So uh, it's nice to be able to highlight that, that program that we have here at the Society as well as we get into these fun times of elections. Great point, Mark. If you like what you heard, visit our website, www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org, and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got suggestions or feedback, please send an email to communications at wismed.org. We'll be back in two weeks.